Welcome back to Throne Hands. It's Jacob. Lots to talk about. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jacob. There's a lot to get into. A really big card, obviously, with UFC 258 on Saturday. And there, there's plenty to talk about. There's plenty uh, to really to really kind of sink our teeth into because I'm excited for this one. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to start off with the featured prelim. But I want to actually want to start off with something else. Bilal Muhammad is something someone not to mess with, I think. He's good. Do you have any thoughts on him? Uh, extremely talented guy went out there and proved it again on Saturday. That's, and, that's really all I can say. Yeah. Phenomenal. Much pressure. I loved, I loved that fight, but Hadolfo Vieira versus Anthony Hernandez. Anthony Hernandez was a plus 3000 at odds to sub world champion jujitsu player, Hadolfo Vieira. And he did it. I, I walked around my apartment after like, what the heck did I just see? What were your thoughts on that, man? This was this was really, I think, legitimately awesome. I mean, I texted you uh, after the first round and was was basically saying like this this fight's going to be insane no matter when it ends because of how crazy that first round was. And then uh, Hernandez, it just seemed like Vieira gassed out after a little while. He he came in looking really bulky. He came in looking absolutely massive for the division, especially. And Hernandez was just able to out cardio him in, you know, six, seven minutes, really. And he slapped on a submission that I was not expecting. I don't think anybody was expecting, but he pulled it out. And like you said, against a guy with Vieira, who's a world champion in jujitsu, who that's what he's known for. That's what the the commentators were raving about the entire time for Hernandez to sub him. That's, that's like a star making performance, especially because he was getting uh, pretty well pieced up to start this fight, both on the ground and on the feet. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have anything to add to that really, but it was just overall impressive by Anthony Hernandez. I think Adolfo Vieira should, uh, move up a weight class. He's just too gargantuan for the middleweight division. And I think he could really benefit from the cardio that he would gain from just staying at 205. I mean, he's six feet tall, so he's a little short, but I think he could really benefit from a move down. What do you have to say? Move yeah, up, I agree. It's, it's tough. It's, it's a tough cut for him. It's very clear when you're running out of gas in six minutes, that's, that's really tough. That, that's tough to watch. It's, it's hard to watch as a fan. And you want to see a guy that's that's been that successful in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that's trying to cross over. You want to see him be successful, and you want to see him fight naturally. And he's not fighting naturally at 185. If he can move up to 205, uh, fight at a more natural weight class, I, I think it'll be really good for him. I mean, he looked absolutely great cutting to 185. I can't imagine what he would be at 205. Yeah, and for Anthony Hernandez, it's kind of it's kind of tough to tell, I guess. I mean, he lost to Holland, but he won beat Park. Um, he's in an interesting situation. He, 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 he might get somebody on the fringe of that top 15, especially with that performance. What do you think? 
He's in the mix. He, he's definitely in the mix. It's it's kind of a tough, tough position. It, it really shows up in every division, that group of guys that's sitting somewhere between like 18 and 30. Uh, and, and it's tough to figure out who really lands where. And there are guys like Kevin Holland that break out of that pack and turn into legitimate contenders. And there are guys that, that never make it out of that group. I think Anthony Hernandez has the potential to do that. I think he's extremely talented. And I don't think he would have pulled off what he did in that fight if he couldn't. So I, I think he's got he's got the ceiling to move up and move into the top 15. And I think he's going to need to be given a chance to do that soon. Definitely. All right. To the first bout of the main card, Maki Patolo versus Julian Marquez. A throwing hands magic is real, my, my friend. Throwing hands magic! Magic! Uh, uh, he throws on the Anaconda choke at the end of the third round and subs Maki Patolo after two and a half years away from the game. I'm proud of him for that. But what I'm not proud of him for is fumbling the bag with Miley Cyrus. He fumbled the bag. He fumbled the bag. It's, it's a tragedy. The man, he, he, had, he had everything he ever dreamed of in his grasp, and he fumbled the bag. He, he calls out, you know, <laughs> he, he asks Joe Rogan if he could make a call out, and his call out is to ask Miley Cyrus out. And she, first of all, she responds. For one thing, she responds and says if he shaves MC into his chest hair, that that uh, that she would go out with him. And then he fumbles the bag, man. Dude, what are we doing here? He, he, he said if you – He gave if, her an ultimatum. What are we you, doing? If you, if, you, if, you sh- if you get a tattoo, it's like, dude, you, you had your feet in the door. Dude. And you blew it. Like, what are you I, doing? I, I've never seen anything like that. Finish. Like, just come on. And, and you have enough, you clearly have enough chest hair to do it. He's just got do enough it. chest hair. You he's, had he's, it. He's clearly got enough chest hair to pull it off. It's not <laughs> like it was, it's not like it was going to take him a while. Like he, he had the ball in his hands and he just fumbled. I don't know. I, I'm going to get too worked <laughs> up because that was just pathetic, but we got to get that. We got to get him back on here at all costs. I'll, I'll 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 talk to Ed about you gotta, that. You got to work your magic with that. We got to get him back on here. I'll, I'll see what I can do. But man, I was I, I jumped out of my seat for joy for this guy because he might he's probably the funniest person we've had on. And yeah. just I don't know. I'm I'm very happy for him. I couldn't be more happy for him. He he he's back. I mean, he it was an Anaconda choke against. A guy in Maki Patola who's been fighting consistently over the past couple of years. What were your thoughts on this one? Uh, it, it looked like it was pretty much all Maki Patola for most of this fight, to be completely honest. Um, they, they talked about it on commentary, but I was really kind of shocked at how much he went to his wrestling throughout this fight, which is not something you necessarily would have expected out of him because he's just kind of been just beating people up. He's, he's not been wrestling guys all that much. He's been doing a lot on the feet. He's been throwing a lot of really powerful punches in his last few fights. But this time he comes out, he tries to wrestle with Julian Marquez, and he had a ton of success doing it. His cardio looked great. And then Julian just flipped it on him at the end. You know, uh, you got to that third round, and despite being out for two and a half years, Julian Marquez had the better cardio. And once they got up from the ground, uh, really for the last time before Julian finished him, you could tell very clearly who the fresher guy was. And it was Julian Marquez. And, you know, he hit that wicked elbow to kind of create create some space for himself. 
and he had him back up against the fence. It finally went back down to the ground and he, he just rolled into that Anaconda choke and it, it was over from there. I mean, it, it was really impressive. He, he showed the power that he had before. He showed the ability on the ground that he had before. And, you know, he said, he said post fight that he doesn't really believe in ring rust. So if, if, we can expect him to take another step forward after two and a half year layoff. I think he's really dangerous. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And let's give some love to James Krause, man. This guy's a genius. Just, yeah. I mean, I mean, Julian Marquez didn't show anything spectacular except for that choke, but I don't think a, a, any coach could have gotten more better prepared after 31 months off than that guy. So on to what's next. I think Patello's on the chopping block. He's he hasn't really proved anything since he won on the contender series a few years back. I don't know where he goes from here. He's lost three in a row. I mean, granted, uh, Darren Stewart's a, is a very nice prospect, but uh, Kasang and I is a, is an animal. And when it comes to Marquez, I mean, that dude is a massive middleweight. So I don't know where he goes. What do you have to say, man? I think they keep Patolo around for at least one more fight just because he's fought killers in his last three. I mean, Stewart, Kasangane, and uh, and and Marquez are, are guys that I think have really bright futures in this division. And I, I have no reason to believe that Patolo, other than the, the Stewart fight, he was competitive. I mean, he got subbed in the first round of that one, but he controlled the Marquez fight. He went to a decision with Kasangane, who's been knocking people out left and right for his entire career. So I think he keep Patolo around for another fight. Obviously, if he loses four in a row, he's got to go. But I think you give him an opportunity to stick around because he's got a lot of a lot of good things in, in his game. You know, he's got really powerful hands and they're quick. That's the thing that I think stands out the most about Marky Patolo is he's got a ton of power in his hands. He's got a ton of drive in his legs, but his hands are quick, too. And then he showed in that in the Marquez fight, he can wrestle a little bit. That's not something that he had showed a lot against Stewart or Kasangane. Uh, but he can wrestle a little bit, and he he kind of kept Julian Marquez moving backwards because of that. I think you give Patolo another shot to to stick. Uh, again, it's tough because he's lost three in a row. But on the flip side of that coin, like I said, he's lost to three killers. So uh, you give him a shot. Obviously, if he loses four in a row, he's got to go. But I think he's got enough talent, uh, in, and he's got enough in the tank to where – he he would win potentially that fourth fight to break that losing streak. And I think he would be a legitimate part of the roster if so. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to agree with you there. Um, you changed my mind on that, but if he loses another one, I think he, he's, he's on the chopping block, but to another good fight, uh, Ricky Simone versus Brian Kelleher, Ricky Simone really showed out here. Uh, he didn't have to cut weight and I'm sure that helped. He's a, he looked like a solid 45er out there and Brian Kelleher uh, looked you know, after, he had a great 2020, but, you know, I guess this is what happens when you're getting a little older, but he, he did, he did well. So what, what were your thoughts on this one? It was, it was an okay fight. Yeah, it was, it was a decent fight. It was, it was nothing to ride home about. And I don't think Brian Kelleher particularly looked bad. I think this was kind of a coming out party for Ricky Simone uh, where he's, he's kind of taken a step back up. I mean, uh, he's, he's been in the UFC since 2018 He's fought legit guys. He's he's fought Marab Devalashvili in his debut, beat him with a submission. Uh, his his losses in the UFC are to Uriah Faber and Rob Font. 
And I think this is kind of his reestablishing moment. I think this is his chance to keep moving upward because Cal- Kelleher's really talented. And like you said, he had a big 20, uh, big 2020. So I think you give him the opportunity to, to keep moving up. I think Ricky Simone looked really good in this fight. He outstruck uh, Brian Kelleher. And when the fight uh, went to the ground, obviously that's where Ricky Simone thrives and he got there six times. So I think, you you look at Ricky Simone and I see someone who's got a chance to not not necessarily be a title contender, but I see somebody who's got a chance to break into the top 10, maybe even the top five. And once you get to that point, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, he's, he's, he's 28 years old. You never know what kind of opportunities are going to come for guys once they get into their early 30s. And Ricky Simone is still a couple years away from that. And he's already fought some of the best guys in this division. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything you said there, Daniel. I think I think the sky's the limit for this dude. He just needs to find a way to piece it together. Um, for, so they're both bantamweights usually, but they they had to do it on short notice. So I don't know what's next for Brian Kelleher. He's I think he's a solid gatekeeper for the top fifteen, but I I, I doubt he wants to stay there. You know. So what do you think, sex for Kelleher? It's tough because he's thirty four and he's outside the top fifteen. And I mean, you look at his record and. And he beat Ray Rodriguez in September. He lost to Cody Stamen. He beat Hunter Azier. He beat Oda Osborne. So he fought four times in 2020. There's always going to be a place on the roster for somebody that will fight four times in a year. So I think Brian Kelleher, like you said, is going to have a place. It's going to be right around the back half of the top 15 or outside of it. And he's, he's going to be given opportunities. I think that's that's pretty obvious given the fact that he's fought five times since last January. So I think if you're if you're Brian Kelleher, you want to move up, but at the age of 34, I think you've really got to be content with the role he's in right now, which as long as he doesn't go on a multi-fight losing streak in the same way that somebody like Maki Patolo has, I think he's got plenty of ability to stick around. Yeah, yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly there. I think, uh, you know, a nice – I know Sog – I think he has to wait a little bit for uh, things to shape out unless he wants to fight Cody Stamen. I think that'd be a great fight for him. What do you have to say? I think that would be a good one. I, I think it would be a, a very solid fight. And I think it would be a really strong opportunity for him to, to really prove that he's ready to take that next step. Obviously uh, Cody Stamen is a big step up, but I think it, it, Ricky Simone is the type of guy that would be, would be willing to take that opportunity on. For sure. All right. To the next bout of the of the evening, Kelvin Gaslam finally, finally getting back in the win column against Ian Heinish. Uh, let's talk about Kelvin Gaslam's chin for a hot second because that uh, flying knee that Heinish threw was this very similar to the one that knocked out Frankie Edgar a couple weeks ago, and Kelvin Gaslam just turned it into a takedown. Like, yeah, he soaked that sucker, man. I don't, I don't know how he did it. Jaw and freaking double leg Heinish out of it which is one it's ridiculous core strength and, and two it's a ridiculous chin which I mean Kelvin Gaslam doesn't look like a guy that's got a ton of core strength but he he pulls it off and he looks he looks great every time he goes out there yeah and speaking of uh double legs uh six takedowns this is the most we've seen wrestling from him in a while and I don't get why he never uses wrestling more I think you know he's like I think he's a juco champion like he's he's a very solid wrestler so I think he might be able to incorporate this more into his game to get into pockets easier. And he seemed to keep Heinish on the ground for a while. So, I mean, no, no, no. Heinish did pretty well. This was a, t- this was a big jump for Ian Heinish, I think. Yeah. So, so I think if he can find somebody in you no know, top 10 range, 
I think he still has a very solid place in this division. He's still fairly young. What re, what what do you think uh, after I said all that? I agree. Heinish, I think, is a future legit guy in this division. I, th- I think that's that's pretty clear with the way he was able to compete with Gastelum. He didn't get he didn't get run out in this one at all. It's just Gastelum was able to out wrestle him. Heinish is, uh, you know, like you said, a young guy who who's really on his way up at this point. And really, I mean, you, you see it with his number 15 ranking. He just broke into the contenders uh, with with his last couple of opportunities. So, you know, he came up from the uh, came up from the contender series, and he's been tested already, man. Uh, he's lost three of his last four, but it's Gaslam, Akmanov, and Derek Brunson. So, you can't argue with the track record that this guy has, and he's gone to a decision with all of them. I mean, he's been fighting guys that finish people and finish them in ridiculous ways. And he's lost to them by decision. He, he beat Gerald Mearshart in there as well. So I think Heinish has, has a bright future in, in this division. He's 32. So he's not super young, but he's, he's a very diverse fighter. I think with, with his Muay Thai, he trains out of Thailand now. So he's getting the best, the best Muay Thai training in the world uh, to, to be completely honest. So I think I'm ready for Ian Heinish to stick around personally. I think he's got the ability to, to probably crack into that top 10 at some point, not necessarily be a title contender, but I think he's a very talented fighter that really has a position now, even though he's lost three of four, he's in a position to keep moving up and keep that forward trajectory because of the performances he's been putting on in those fights. Yeah. You just don't, I'm not even going to add anything to that. All right. Ian Heinish, I already said um, someone, you know, top 10 range. I think, I think Brad Tavares and Heinish would be a, a phenomenal fight or Evan Shabazian, you know, he hasn't fought since late August, I think. So those are two great matchups. I think, what do you have to say? Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's exactly what I was coming in with. And I think Gaslam has to wait a tad bit because this is pretty locked up. You got Brun, uh, Brunson and Holland, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then you have, you know, I guess Jack or Manson should, oh, they already fought. So that's not really one you want to make. Cannoneer, I guess. I mean, Cannoneer has a little, that'd be a good comeback fight for him after the broken leg. What do you have to say, man? I think Jared Cannoneer is really the only option. And I don't know if you're Kelvin Gaslam, if you're wanting to get back into that kind of contendership that quickly uh, with, with a fight like this against Heinish, where he looked good, he looked great, but he wasn't necessarily dominant start to finish. I'm not sure it's a position where you want to jump back in with top three guys. I'm not sure he's ready for that. If he's really trying to build back up towards title contention, I don't think he wants to lose four of his last five fights. If he were to fight Jared Cannonier and lose. So like you said, I think he, he needs to wait for things to shake out a little bit, wait for some things to open up. I think we're going to see the middleweight division open up a lot more once we get these fights, you know, with with Tail and Vittori and Costa and and all of them later in the year. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of Darren Till, interesting conversation with Mike Perry this weekend. Did you see that? Hey, I, I didn't catch it, but I, I kind of caught the recap. Oh, it was it was dude. Uh, Dan Hooker said they need a coach tough. Ooh, that would be something special. Two guys you can barely talk. It'd be it'd be fantastic. That would be something special, my friend. I would buy ESPN Plus just for that specific reason. And I wouldn't I wouldn't complain. All right, to the co-main event of the evening. Macy Barber versus Alexa Grasso. Macy Barber kind of looked lost out there. I don't blame her. Coming off an ACL tear. 
she kind of just was punching from 10 feet away. It wasn't really even a range finder. It's, it was a really odd fight for Macy Barber. But let's talk about Alexa Grasso for Alexa Grasso for a second. She fought a fantastic fight. She played the game so well until the very end when Macy Barber finally got her feet back under her. But, wow, I was impressed by Grasso. What do you have to say? Yeah, I think this has a lot less to do with Macy Barber not looking good and a lot more to do with Alexa Grasso looking absolutely insane in this fight. You know, she came out and was so crisp with her striking. That's that's what stood out to me is that everything seemed to hit and everything seemed to hit where she wanted it to. It was it was perfect in the way that she was aiming, in in how quick her movements were. She just kept Macy Barber moving backwards. She could never get in close. Like you said, she was she was throwing from several feet away and not even coming close. And I think it's because Grosso did such a good job keeping her at a distance. You know, when she did throw kicks, they were they were landing and they were having impact. Uh, she was getting in tight and throwing punches and that was having an effect really enough to keep Barber moving backwards, like I said, for most of the fight. She was landing in the spot she wanted to land. And when you're a striker with, with as much precision as Alexa Grosso and, and as polished as she is as a striker, when you're getting your spots, it's really hard to beat somebody like that. And that's exactly what Alexa Grosso got in this fight. I think she did probably benefit a little bit with Macy Barber having a year-long layoff, but that's not to take anything away from Grosso because she was absolutely amazing in this fight to watch it, it was just a really beautiful fight to watch to be completely honest because she was so precise and so crisp with her movements and what she was throwing at her summed it up perfectly all right for macy barber i think andrea lee would be a good fight for her to come back on i think andrea lee is she's as well-rounded as it gets but she she can't seem to piece it together so i think you know get macy barber back into it a little bit I think I think that's the perfect fight for her. What do you have to say? I, I think that's a very solid option. I think uh, get her back on the right track. Uh, like like Dan White said after the after the uh, um, after the after the fights on Saturday, you know she's still figuring out what what all of this is. She's 22 years old. I know she talked a lot of smack about being the youngest champion ever, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But still, she's extremely talented and she's extremely young. She's going to have every opportunity to keep moving up. And I think, like you said, an Andrea Lee fight would be really interesting and give her a really good chance to do that. And for Grasso, I think someone mentioned Calvillo. And I'm going to be completely honest. That's a lot away, but I like that fight. That's a a big step up. I know, but I really like that fight. And I, I think Grasso has the chops for it. I mean, she pieced up arguably the best prospect in the women's division. So I think I, that's a fight I want to see. What do you have to say, man? I think that would be a really good fight. I'm just not sure it's, it's something that Grasso is quite ready for because this was really the first time that she proved she was everything she was hyped up to be, I guess you could say in the UFC. I I mean, it's, it's tough. I think you, you could give her that opportunity. I'm just not sure if necessarily that's that's a step up she's ready for. I mean, Viviana Rajo's uh, still sitting there coming off of a win uh, against Roxanne Motoferi back in January. She has not fought in a while. I think that would be a really interesting one. But uh, like you said, Cal, or not Calvillo, it's a big step up. But if, if Grasso is going to be as legit as they've said she's going to be, I think she would probably have to be ready for it. Yeah, I mean, 
maybe put her up against Jessica. I, I think I think she's definitely deserving of a top ten opponent next. So I, but Calvio is what I want personally. All right. So someone mentioned like you know I forget who it was on the broadcast. It was probably Joe Rogan because his commentary has been. But he, he said something about Grasso. You know, she could compete with Shevchenko within the next couple of years. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I don't, when I consider the flyweight division, I see Andrade and Shevchenko as levels above everybody else in this division. I don't know what your thoughts on that, but when I consider the flyweight division, I don't consider them. I think they're just a division onto themselves in the same weight class. I, I would tend to agree. I think you look at that group and I think Cynthia Calvillo could move up into that group at some point. I don't think she's there yet. I think she's got the ability to, I'm not sure it's exactly in the cards right away. Uh, but like you said, that that's a very clear top two that is very, very clearly a step above everybody else in the division at this point. I like Cynthia Calvillo a lot. I think if I was betting on anyone else in this division to jump into that legitimate group, I think it would be her. I think Joanne Calderwood might have a chance to, but again, she's not looked great when she's been put in, put in that kind of position. So I agree. Andrade and Shevchenko especially are, are a group under their own, uh, but there's the ability to move into that group. I don't see Grosso doing it anytime soon, mostly because I don't see anyone in this division doing it anytime soon. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And I think uh, I would, I would be, I would agree with your Calvillo statement if it were three years ago, cause she's in her mid thirties yeah. now. So she's 33. It's not yeah. Awful. She's still fairly young. It, de- it depends what prime she hits. Is she going to be the old person prime that just somehow comes out like an Anderson Silva type or, you know, she just could stay consistent at this level. So it'll be something to, something to look out for, I believe. All right. Lots to talk about here. Kamar Usman defeats Gilbert Burns via TKO at the beginning of the third round. Gilbert Burns cracked Usman in the first round, 30 seconds in, but it was just all jab Usman from there on. Uh, it wasn't the foot stops this time. It was the jab that wrecked Burns. I can't. I don't know. What do you have to say? I'm, I was kind of speechless at the end of this. Bro, when I talked to you about the art that is Kamaru Usman fighting, this is what I'm talking about. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, you watch that fight and you see him switch stances so many times. And, and it's because he figured out early that that jab was working with the left, but he didn't want to give Gilbert Burns the same look every time, you know, it got to the point where Usman would throw that jab with the left and Usman would come over the top with a, with a counter to the overhand right. And it started to get to him and it started to slow down what that jab was able to do. So what does he do? He switches Southpaw. He turns it into a straight left. And again, he finds himself being really successful. He mixes up the styles. He didn't want to wrestle with Gilbert Burns. Nobody should. And I think that's just a testament to, to how skilled of a fighter and how much Kamar Usman's grown as a fighter, because you're looking at a guy that, I mean, even coming into this fight, you, you didn't think Kamar Usman was going to knock hardly anybody out. And that's what he does here. And he did not attempt to take down in this fight, whereas Gilbert Burns attempted three and he stuffed all of them. So uh, there were so many opportunities for Kamar Usman to make a mistake in this fight. Anytime he took Gilbert Burns down, uh, with with a strike anytime he knocked him down I said Shea with a strike 
Burns stayed there and tried to bait him into coming to the ground with him, and he just wouldn't do it. And he still put himself in a position to where he was scoring points with, with kicks and quick in-and-out punches while Burns was on the ground. I mean, when we're talking about when we're talking about the level of intelligence, I think that Kamara Usman has in the octagon, we're seeing a new level compared to anybody else in the UFC right now when it comes to the IQ that he puts out there in the octagon. He he is he's operating on another plane of processing with what he's seeing from his opponent. And I think that's really what came clearly to me out of this is every move is calculated. Every step he takes is calculated. He sees the risks. He sees the rewards of every single thing that he does. And it's, it's made him into one of pound for pound. I would say the best two or three fighters in the world. And it's, it's a testament to the way that he's been trained. It's a testament to the, the commitment that he puts into everything. And it's a testament to, to the ability that he has naturally that he can go out there and it, it seems like see things on, you know, so many more levels than his opponent is. And that's exactly what he was able to do against Burns. Perfectly summed up. So we're going to, this, this is going to be the longest part of the show probably, but for Gilbert Burns, I think he's got to wait a little man. I think he's got to go back to the drawing board. Cause I, I think, I think he Covington and Usman are levels above everybody else in this division. And and then the Usman's another level above them, maybe except for Kobe Covington, but I don't know. What do you think's next for Burns? It's tough because he, he, built his way up to this position very quickly. And I mean, there's fights to make because uh, the, with the nature of how he got to the top, there's guys that he hasn't fought that are ranked below him. That, that's just what happens when, when you uh, rise that quickly. And, and again, it's a testament to how talented he is, but uh, you look at the, you look at the top five and he hasn't fought Colby Covington and he hasn't fought Leon Edwards and he hasn't fought, fought Jorge Masvidal and he hasn't fought Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and he hasn't fought Michael Chiesa, and he hasn't fought, uh, he has fought Woodley and Damian Maya. He hasn't fought Neil Magny, and he hasn't fought Vicente Luque. So, uh, out of the top 10 contenders, one of them is him, and he hasn't fought the other, has not fought the uh, seven of them, I should say. So, there, there's plenty of fights to make, but like you said, he's taken a step up beyond the Leon Edwards and the Jorge Masvidals of the world. So, unless the UFC wants to put him in a position to just absolutely squash somebody, I don't think we're going to see anything, but maybe a Colby Covington fight for him. Even that doesn't make a ton of sense because I think Colby's going to be angling for a title fight very soon. So Burns Covington, maybe, but I think like you said, Gilbert Burns is going to have to wait either for somebody to emerge or another opportunity against Usman to come up. And for Usman, this we, we talked about, we texted about this for 25 minutes, maybe. Like, uh, first off, give me 12 months and I'm game. But I think with this, is it's really tough because he hasn't fought Thompson yet. And Thompson made a good point. He thinks he should be next because I think stylistically, that matchup could give Usman absolute hell. How and, many times have we said that, though? I know, but like, I, I agree. I agree. Wonderboy should be in the conversation, but how many times have we said, man, there's some things he does that would give Usman some problems. 
Well, I think with Gilbert Burns, I my thought was if Usman's willing to go to the ground, that's yeah, where the problem is. And he wasn't willing to go to the ground, that's so I was true. like, okay, he could win this fight. So I think when it comes, I think I genuinely think if Stephen Thompson prepares as well as he can for this fight, get Weidman in there to help him train, and I think he with his striking and how just pinpoint and refined he is and with his takedown yeah. defense now i don't think that would be much against usman i think stephen thompson probably presents the biggest problem out of anybody in the top five outside of colby Covington. or what do you have to say i agree and you know leon edwards hasn't fought in forever it seems like uh he's beat Masvidal. he called out Masvidal. Because he wants a full camp to, or he wants Masvidal on a full camp so he can kind of just prove something to himself. I think is the biggest thing. I don't there. want to see that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's he's gonna kill him, but yeah, Wonderboy is is the one that sticks out just because he hasn't fought him and and he probably deserves that opportunity. It would it would be a big step up from from the kind of guys that he's really been fighting recently, but you know. He, he's talented. He's got, he's got all the, all the ability to do it. So yeah, I, I think, I think Wonderboy Thompson makes a lot of sense, but again, there's, there's nothing immediately about that fight against Kamar Uzman that jumps out to me and says, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to watch this because I think something really exciting could happen because I think Kamar Uzman is just going to fight the way he wants to fight. And I love to watch that, but I don't think it's going to be anything new. Yeah, I was I was just about to say that like I, I that fight doesn't get me out of the bed in the morning, but the fight in this division, we'll talk about, you know, moving people moving and everything in a sec, but the fight in this division that will get me up in the morning to watch is Colby Covington because yeah. I, I think he, I think he by far presents the biggest challenge. His he doesn't use his wrestling too too he didn't use his wrestling at all against Usman because they're both fantastic wrestlers. So I and Colby Covington's cardio is just top-notch and the way he, i think you'll be able to throw in some adjustments that could give uzman some real problems and also uzman he adjusts well too and i think trevor whitman is the best thing that ever happened to him so that fight excites me and i think with what colby did to woodley was uh ungodly and inhumane so i think colby covington if, it, if a fight goes into this division it's got to be covington what do you have to say I agree. I think that's, yeah, Usman Colby too is, is the one that makes the most sense. Uh, again, he's, he's really posed the greatest challenge to Usman that he's faced uh, in, in his time in the UFC. I mean, uh, yeah, he's most of his, most of his fights are decision wins, but that's just because he so thoroughly dominates his opponents. He's, he's Mr. 50, 45. So I, I think uh, putting Colby Covington out there, against against Kamar Usman is what makes the most sense again uh, like I said he's pushing really hard for Masvidal again because he wants to prove that it was not a fluke the way that the way that uh that Masvidal has been pushing out there um I want to see the Colby fight you want to see the Colby fight I think a lot of people want to see the Colby fight but I just don't know if it's the one that's going to happen right away yeah now Habib said that the only way he comes back is a true challenge and if that's not a true challenge, I don't know what is. He if he, he said he, he told his dad he's going to get to 30, you know, and if he ends as a two-division champ, I mean, take my money. Please take my money already. That's the fight I want to see. What do you think, man? 
I'd love to see it. I just Habib at one seventy would be weird, man. I know there's only like a two inch height difference between the two of them, but I just that would be that that'd be real strange to me. And, and I, I I don't know. I, I I don't know that I don't know that Habib with with his fighting style necessarily works at one seventy, uh, just because of how he has to operate. Yeah, but ju- just imagine you know give Habib six give him six months and watch him just get yoked. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's entirely true. That's entirely possible. But I just think it's, it's really tough to see Habib moving up. I, I just, I, I know, give him the opportunity, but I, I feel like with the way that he operates and the style that he fights with, I would almost see him like taking a welterweight fight and probably sticking around just whatever he walks around at, which I would assume does not, go up to 170 pounds so I would I would love to see it I would love to see the matchup because they're two of my favorite guys to watch but it, it would just be a weird mix for me because I I I can't get it through my head to see see Habib fighting at 170 if, if that makes any kind of sense yeah it, it would be tough to watch because Habib's only 5'8 I think and it's just yeah I guess uh, but like just the size is just That'd be a problem yeah. unless he wants to get yoked, which I'm all for. But him moving, I think Usman moving up would for an interim shot, interim title with Adesanya moving to light heavyweight would be a fantastic move. I mean, it, I don't think Usman took too much damage in that fight, so I think he'd come back within three months. And I think you know, there's no good middleweight matchup uh, because everything's just filled up with uh, Tilvatori and Whitaker Costa. So him moving up is a weird is it would be a good option if the division wasn't so uh bumper to bumper right now. What do you think? Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's so insanely deep at the top of the middleweight division that it's it's really tough to see him breaking in there and having a legitimate claim to uh, really anybody in that top group. It, it's it's tough to envision uh even even as talented as he is and even as dominant as he's been the ufc justifying putting him in a title position when you've got guys like whitaker and costa and and tail and vittori that are are getting ready to go at it to to decide who the number one contender is going to be uh if adesanya sticks around and if he doesn't to decide who is going to be the uh, who's going to be the uh interim champion or potentially the full-time champion so i i find it hard to find somewhere to stick him in at 185 and find an opponent for him. I would love to see him do it. Um, again, uh, with, with the way these two guys have talked and the way they've operated in the past, I don't envision Adesanya and Usman looking for a super fight opportunity, but that's really the, one of the few ways that I can justify him fighting at 185. Yeah, I can't, I can't really disagree with you there on that. All right. To news, nothing too too much. Uh, Bruce Buffer, um, uh, twenty five years in the octagon. What can I say? Uh, pretty awesome. We love we love the buff. Um, do you have anything? Because we we pretty much just covered everything. Do you have anything else, man? Um, yeah, we got a retirement uh, that you actually. Oh yeah. Uh, tipped me off to uh, Stefan Struve. Uh, long time. UFC heavyweight, only 32 years old. The skyscraper, seven foot heavyweight, is uh, is retiring. Um, 
uh, had some some inner ear uh, issues, uh, viral infection that, that affected him pretty badly, uh, has some vertigo issues, and uh, he's had a loss of hearing, tinnitus. Um, but he's decided to retire from uh, from the UFC from from fighting in general because uh, his, his last fight it says he uh, he uh, got hit flush on the ear he'd been having issues with, and it's uh, it's been a long term problem. So uh, it looks like. Uh, we are not going to see him back in the UFC, which is unfortunate because one, he was, he's an extremely talented fighter. And two, it's just really fun to watch a guy that big and that long at seven feet tall, go out there and beat people up for a living. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. He's, he's a really entertaining guy. Yeah. And uh, can you imagine if he had a jab? Oh, if, if he, if he, if nobody he get went close to, to him, if, if he went to Trevor Whitman and he just went, all right, Stefan, for the next two weeks, you're jabbing. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, he beat Stipe. I mean, Stipe wasn't prime Stipe yet, but like, I don't care how old Stipe is. That's, that's insane. Yeah. I, I think, and he's, I think he's tied for second most finishes in the heavyweight division behind Derek Lewis, second most subs. Like he, he was, he was on the, he was always there, but at the same time, he just couldn't get over the hump. And I think uh, it, it stinks. I think, and I, I'm not comparing myself to Stefan Struve because he's an elite athlete, but I know inner ear problems that he had. Like I experienced that two years ago. It's mostly gone away. My ears still ring, but like it's, it's hell on earth. And I can't, I can sip, I can empathize with Struve on that. Like I, if I got hit in the ear, I think I'd be screwed, but damn, he's, he was something else. Same wingspan as John Jones, fun fact. <laughs> so, oh, I was going to say something about John Jones. Um, oh, it's official pretty much. Dana White announced he will get the winner of Steve yeah. Bay. I can't wait. I when they, re, when they renegotiate that contract. Ooh, I cannot. I, I, legit, I, I legitimately cannot wait for that because – I just can't wait for yoke John Jones to just throw people around. Um, oh, GSP doesn't want to fight Usman. I think that'd be a murder on Usman's part. I think Usman yeah. would murder him at 39. And people yeah. are comparing Usman to George St. Pierre. I'm like, this is, I, I think the era that GSP fought in for the welterweight division is absolutely absurd. I mean, if you look at whom he beat uh, in this uh, title run, Koscheck, Hughes, Sarah, Fitch, Penn, Tiago Alves, Dan Hardy, Koscheck again, Jake Shields, Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, Johnny Hendricks. Like, like th that's that's a whole murderer's row. I mean, Usman's on another level. I think I think Usman would fare just fine in that era. But yeah, I. There's, I think there's just so many welterweight greats. I, I think that like there's so many up there. Like, man, I don't know. What 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 do you think about like where uh, Usman stands in like that tier of welterweights? I mean, to be completely honest, like Meek Mill said once upon a time, there's levels to this young boy. Uh, when it when it comes down to it, uh, GSP is, I mean, top five ever probably top three ever somewhere in that conversation. Best. 
He's he's arguably number one all time. He's without a doubt, I'd say, in the top three. And I mean, you don't challenge that at this point. I, I think Kamar Usman is is ridiculously talented. He's one of the best welterweights of all time. But I'm not putting him in GSP conversation because GSP was so dominant over some of the best fighters we have ever seen. So I, I think Usman's in the mix as probably a, one of the best welterweights of all time, but. Uh, George St. Pierre is on a completely different level because he's a, a completely different fighter, man. He's he's potentially the greatest of all time. And Karuzman is not in that conversation as much as I love to watch him fight. He is not in that conversation. You can't say that for you can't you can't justify saying that Kamaru Usman is the greatest of all time. And I think that's the only way that you can put him ahead of GSP at this point. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I thought Rogan was uh, intoxicated when he he said, um, "No, when uh, Usman gets out of this, he might be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, welterweight of all time." Like, are you nuts? I'm not. I'm personally not enjoying Rogan on commentary anymore. I don't think he, he doesn't bring anything to the table. It's it's been rough lately. It's uh, it's it's not it's not what it once was, which is unfortunate. Someone said to get Bisping, Lewis, Derek Lewis, and Darren Till on the commentary team. Just those three. I mean, can you argue? Can you argue I mean, that you, you need somebody doing blow by blow? So you need a John Anik or, or somebody in there yeah. talking about P three. But <laughs> you need somebody's. You know, somebody's somebody's got to plug P three. Somebody's got to plug body armor, but. Uh, I think I think all three of those guys. Well, Bisping we know is is great on color, but I think the other two uh, would be are are awesome as well. We haven't had the uh, the Fitzgerald Bisping and uh, Felder combo in a while, and I'm really I disappointed. I, and I love that one, man, because I think I that's that the group. best combo. Of that's the anyone. That's the best. That's that's the best booth in the UFC. And you know, you know, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but. A uh, couple weeks ago, when uh, Overeem and Volkov fought, I enjoyed Cruz's commentary. I can't believe I'm going to say that, but he had some stuff to add, and I, I'm he did. I'm so incredibly proud of he Dominic did. Cruz. But oh, we got to talk about this. That this 259 card is nuts. It is. Yeah. Why? Ab- how, why did it take this long? <laughs> I take, why did I forget about this? I don't know. We gotta we gotta look this up right now because. This is awesome. This is like, there's, there's levels to cards, but this is just a whole nother level to a card. The prelims could be a, a whole event onto itself. The, the prelims could the prelims could be its own fight night, to be completely honest. Yeah, let's, oh, dang it, where is the... Uh, I, I got to pull it up here. Okay, I, I need to look it up for my reference, I guess. But, oh my gosh, take I mean, my... Take my money. The first fight on the main card is Tiago Santos versus Alexander Rakic. <laughs> and then you That's have the first fight. And then you have Islam Makachev versus uh, Drew Dober. <laughs> yep. And then Two absolute uh, killers. And then on the prelims, I mean Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny. Like, yeah. What? Sonia Dong's on the prelims, dude. Benavidez guess- and Askarov are on the prelims. Yeah, I think Yadong's fighting Jesus or something. Like, look at that dude. Kyler Phillips. Kyler Phillips. 
I've never heard of it, but I'm, I'm game. I'm game. But how is Benavides and Askarov on the prelims? And it's not the it's not even the feature prelim. No, it's not. This Ooh, is this card is ridiculous. Yeah, that's you know it's kind of awkward. Casey Kenny and Megan Anderson are on the same card. Ugh. Hey, hey yo, they're gonna pass each other. It's not gonna be pretty. But Brutal. let's just say Megan Anderson's gotta uh, start uh, get her will ready. Uh, maybe arrange her funeral. Yeah. You know, it, it might be that time because I she mean, needs she, to get her, she needs to get her estate in order. <laughs> her, her estate, I, it's just not looking good. I mean, she, she beat two people that you and I have never even heard about. And you and I uh-huh. are, are hardcore into this stuff, man. But it's like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, I'm, ner- I'm nervous for her. I'm genuinely nervous for so her. I. I think Nunes just dis- dispatches her in the first round. But this main event is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The main event is going to be is going to be absolutely wicked because I love Jan Blahovich and everybody loves Israel Adesanya. That that's going to be a great fight. The fight I am looking forward to the most is Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. Yes, yes. That is the fight I'm looking forward to the most because Piotr Jan is just going to come out with cinder blocks for hands and Aljamain Sterling is just going to be running all over the place, causing all kinds of chaos. And, and if he gets Piotr Jan to the ground, I think he's going to finish him when he gets there. But uh, again, it's a tough bet. You've got three title fights on this one. You've got five belts being at least carried to the octagon. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. And I can't wait for it. You know, Piotr Jan's grappling is so underrated. It's underrated. It's underrated. I'm not saying, I mean, Aljamain Sterling is on a whole other level in that division when it comes to grappling, in my opinion. But when we talk about Piotr Jan, I mean, that dude can wrestle. I think that's what, that's what's yeah. underrated about him. He can wrestle. I agree. I, I just think if Aljamain just gets the right position, I think Jan is screwed. But we'll obviously talk about this more, but the main event, I think I, people are just dismissing Jan Blahovich. This, I mean, if if, I agree. if if let's look at it this way, Adesanya, no one's really connected cleanly with Adesanya except Gastelum, and I think that if Blahovich lands cleanly, with Adesanya having hundred and over like a hundred professional fights, it, it might not bode well for him to be honest. And I, I think agree. when if Izzy gets into that matrix mode, Blahovich is just gonna grab him and take him down. And yep. the thing with uh, the problem with Adesanya is he's not gaining weight for the fight from what I've heard. So it, I think that that will be the worst view on his part because Blahovich is going to come in at 240. We know that. Yep. So it's, it's odd, but take my money. If like Breck, like our man Breck said, if this card was 150 bucks, I would pay for, if I would consider paying for Same. it, but uh, Dana White can't find me. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think we beat—I think we beat a dead horse here. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? I'm all set. All right, we are all set. Uh, that'll do it for us here on Throwing Hands, and we'll see you next time.